Hello and welcome to Radio 43. This is a new weekly podcast series from Hope Not Hate. Each week on this show, we'll be releasing a rapid anti-fascist intelligence report coming straight from us to you in 15 minutes or less. This is a podcast designed for anti-fascists and journalists and really anyone interested in the day-to-day activities of the far right. This podcast takes its name from the 43 Group, an inspiring set of post-war anti-fascists who fought off the threat of the far right whose memory lives large in the collective consciousness of those combating the far right today. My name's Roxana Khan-Williams. My name's Nick Spooner. And each week, either myself or Roxy will be sitting down with Joe Mulhall, Hope Not Hate senior researcher, to pick out some key moments and developments from the previous week. Welcome to Radio 43. Okay, here we are. Joe, uh, Roxy, great to be with you. How are you both? Yeah, doing well, man. How are you? Tremendous, actually. Yeah, tremendous. Nice to see you yesterday for the first time in ever, actually. I don't think I've ever been in ever. Never, never yeah. actually been in the same space before, so that was nice. It was I was Joe, very, I was very jealous of that. I, was, I saw the pictures. I was very jealous. I saw you all getting together and I was kind of sat in my house on my own, so I was quite quite jealous of that. Well, we'll you get you involved next, next time. time. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. So we are going to be talking in these in these weekly podcasts about what the far right have been up to. Um, clearly, you know, the dust is sort of settling after the, the elections. It's been a disaster for the far right, hasn't it, Joe, really, on the whole? <laughs> yes, I mean, it has. I mean, uh, there's lots of people that the elections were a disaster for, but um, <laughs> the far right were especially bad at this election. Uh, both the radical right in terms of uh, kind of the former Brexit party, if you will, but all, Reform UK, but also the traditional far right. I mean, these are some of the worst electoral results we've seen in in decades. Uh, the, there's a kind of wiped out across the board. There's a few little bits and pieces that are a bit more interesting, but generally speaking, anywhere they stood, they performed really poorly. Do you have a sort of sense of, of why that is? So I know uh you know nick boss nick he said in the uh in an interview with the guardian that that there's currently very little political space for the traditional far-right parties who are obsessed with racial nationalism and islamophobia that's a quote so do, do you have a sense of kind of why why things went so badly wrong yeah i mean i think there's a couple of things happening here right and, and i think it's worth splitting them between what you might call the traditional far-right and the, and the more moderate radical right i mean if you look at the traditional far-right this is a long-term decline in terms of electoral politics. You know, if you think of the 2010 elections when the British National Party, you know, they might have been wiped out, but they they got hundreds of thousands of votes. You know, they were the most electorally mm. successful far-right party in post-war British history. Um, the BNP only managed one candidate in Croydon, and sorry, one in West Northamptonshire in this election, and they got like 55 votes and 92 votes respectively. They were they were barely they just barely exist anymore. The National Front stood three candidates: one in Amber Valley, I think, one in Burnley, and one in Calderdale. None of them got over three percent of the vote. And yet, ten years ago, the BNP had you know two two members of the European uh, Union MEPs. Sorry, they had a member of the London Assembly. They had sixty over well over sixty candidates and councillors. So, the traditional far right has collapsed in and of itself. Part of the reason they're not doing well is because they barely exist anymore. 
But that said, I mean, as I say, splitting it into the moderate, more moderate and more far right, I mean, Reform UK also collapsed, right? This was the Brexit party. They fielded just 270 candidates at this election and they only won two. You know, they received just 0.23% of the vote across the whole election. So this is the party that won the last European election. Yeah. So they've, they've radically collapsed. So the question then is why, right? As you said, and I think there's a couple of things at play. Part is, is that the far right was... Uh, the radical and far right were, were pretty obsessed with Brexit for, for the last few years. And obviously that's dissipated as an issue around which they could rally. And so the far right is currently in a bit of a flux when it's looking for a space. What does it campaign around? What does it talk around? And it's traditional things that it would campaign around. Immigration, asylum seekers, all those sorts of issues were not part of this election. Right? This election was in the middle of a global pandemic in which the far right has had very little say in the UK. <clears throat> no one is looking to what the Reform Party think about, about the global pandemic. People are interested in what the Conservative Party is saying and the Labour Party is saying. So the far right, they just weren't talking about the issues that people were interested in. And then I think also, I agree with Nick in that the electoral space for the far right, this isn't just this election. I think part of the reason we've got such a small electoral far right in the UK is that it's just not needed. You know, if you look around some of the rhetoric that's come out of the Conservative Party in the last few years around immigration, about asylum seekers, about cross-channel migration, you know, if you talk about especially people like Priti Patel, why vote for the far right with all the stigma that comes with it when you're hearing very similar kind of cultural rhetoric from a mainstream political party? So I think when you combine those things, it kind of explains why the far right have had, had such a, a disastrous election this time round. That's so, yeah, it's so interesting. And, you know, we love to see it. We love to see the decline of the far right. But it's, uh, yeah, it is, it's deeply troubling to kind of look at the mainstreaming of that rhetoric. Um, so I know the research team had a particular look at For Britain and their pretty unsavoury leader, Anne-Marie Walters. Um, Joe, I was just wondering if you could touch on them a bit and uh, especially their campaign in Epping Forest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so for those that don't know, For Britain is, is as you say, run by Anne-Marie Waters. She's kind of one of Britain's leading anti-Muslim activists. She was uh, involved with Pegida UK, with Tommy Robinson and, and the kind of that. She's been a long-standing figure of the anti-Muslim movement in the United Kingdom. And For Britain was launched as a party that was around that single issue, but has become increasingly uh, just like a general traditional far-right party, in large part because it's hoovered up a lot of the old BMP crowd. That said, it's kind of one of the more organised elements of the British far right. It's got genuine regional structures and, and branch structures, and it's got quite, it's very active. And, and it's worth remembering at the last elections in 2019, they actually won two councillors. Um, this time round, though, again, they only fielded about 60 candidates across the country. And even amongst that 60, we've picked up, I think, at least last count, at least 10 of them were former BNP members. And they had a really disastrous election. The party failed to surpass 100 votes in 49 of the 60 council seats they contested, which is pretty disastrous. Yes. Uh, and almost half of its candidates received fewer than 50 votes. But the party has kind of got two areas that they were really looking at in this election. One was Hartlepool, not, not the by-election. They made a decision that it was kind of much contested within the party themselves. If you look at the private messages that were going back and forth within the party, some people were very keen on Amory Waters standing in the by-election. Others people felt it was a bad idea. But in the end, they decided not to. And, uh, and she stood instead in, in the council elections there. And, and just as well, in fact, I mean, the way she performed was pretty abysmally. You know, they, that was their prime seat. They took out big adverts. And uh, there was a few kind of key figures there. One was Anne-Marie Waters, who finished sixth in the De Bruce Ward, which was pretty humiliating, really. And Karen, 
King was the other one also in the Duke Bruce Ward who edged into fourth place by the Conservatives. So they did really appallingly there. And then, of course, there's Epping Forest, which you mentioned, Roxy. I mean, Epping Forest is a really interesting place for the British far right. It's been a long standing place that the far right have targeted. The British National Party were there. Um, you know, for, for many, many years. And they're very, very active for Britain there, especially around the kind of cross-channel migration question. There's a hotel housing uh, asylum seekers and migrants in the, in the community that they've been really, really hostile towards. They've been making videos, they've been outside doing really ugly far-right politics. And that party, or that branch, sorry, in, in that area is really just an old BNP branch, plus extra really extreme people. We've been monitoring it really closely for a number of years. And They've had some really vile, I mean, some people openly neo-Nazis in, in, involved and engaged in that, but the core gut person there's there. There's a guy, sorry to interrupt, there's a, there's a guy down there, wasn't there, who he was, he, he said ideally it would be for whites only Epping Forest, isn't that? And he was running for them, was he? Yeah, so Julian yeah. Lepper. So, so again, he's an ex-BMP character. He's actually elected. He's, he's for Britain's sole district councillor now in the UK. Um, his seat wasn't up for election this year round, but he, he did stand in some elections in the area and didn't win this year. And yeah, he was talking about, you know, kind of white only stuff. And there's him and Eddie Butler are the two key figures. I mean, Eddie Butler is this long standing far right figure. He was often kind of talked about as the mastermind of the British National Party's electoral success. He goes back decades to some pretty violent and pretty extreme politics. Um, with the BNP and he's really active in Epping Forest runs the branch there but he received just 26 votes yeah this time around so he had a disastrous selection as well so I think in a lot of these things the, the difficulty is is that while it's great that Epping Forest rejected Eddie Butler and gave him just 26 votes I mean that's really humiliating it's still about what's happening in that community right there is a there is a far-right group that is preying on that part of town they're there every day, they're out leafleting, they're doing horrible stuff to the migrant community in the hotel. And so just, I, I think while it's really, we should be kind of laughing at Eddie Butler, right? And we should be laughing at For Britain's electoral collapse, which is really great. Um, the far right is having an effect in these communities beyond the ballot box as well. Though. So I think it's worth touching on that as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I mean, we've got about six minutes left. So um, I've got a couple of other questions for you. And I think Roxy's got one as well, but so, Clearly, over the last year or so, we've seen the growth of... I've got two questions, actually. I'm going to wrap them up into one. Uh, we've seen the growth of these of, of a kind of conspiratorial movement, the anti-lockdown brigade. What sort of happened to them? And also, could you speak a little bit about anyone who did quite well? So there were a few independents, weren't there, around the country who who were uh, pretty dodgy, who actually did quite well. There's a guy in... An ex-BNP guy in Durham, I think, and a few sort of mm -hmm. UKIP splinters here and there. And was there a UKIP splinter in Rotherham and the council mm -hmm. there? Yes, yes. So UKIP, as you're right to say, has splintered into many directions. Um, it's, it's almost quite remarkable, really, when you think back to kind of what an electoral force UKIP was for, for, for so many years, the run up to the Brexit campaign, and how quickly it has kind of collapsed and its demise following the, the departure of Nigel Farage, and then it's kind of pivot towards increasingly far-right politics. I mean, in, in London, they had this bizarre mayoral candidate, Peter Gammons, um, and he placed 13th, right, with 0.6% of the vote. He was beaten by the anti-vaxxer Piers Corbyn, who got 0.8%. So, I mean, this is a party that's really collapsed. And as it's collapsed, it's, of course, splintered, some of which it's splintered into kind of regional stuff. I mean, UKIP also put a lot of energy into Wales, this election, actually. It's worth saying, actually. We haven't mentioned that there was the Senate elections there. And um, in, back in 2016, it had won seven seats. Back in, but, but now, under the leadership of Hamilton, 
uh, he received just 507 votes. Again, a humiliation. They also had some of the key figures from the far-right broadcast that you might have heard about on YouTube called Voice of Wales. Two of the key figures from that, Dan mm-hmm. Morgan and Stan Robertson, they stood in Wales and both did pretty appallingly as well. So UKIP as a party itself collapsed. And then you're right to touch on some of these splintered. There's, there's a whole host of them. The most notable one is, as you say, the Rotherham Democratic Party. Um, they were defending 12 seats. That's how successful they've been in the past. They fielded 40 candidates in the area. And obviously Rotherham is an area that the far right have looked at for many years, seeking to exploit some of the tensions around the on-street grooming question and, and some of the, there's, there's, there's numerous issues in that community the far right are trying to whip up. But even in this election, the group lost three quarters of its councillors, right? They had an absolute disaster. And they did retain a few seats in, in places like Greensburg, Keppel, Rotherham West, I think. But the Conservatives won 20 new seats in that town. So when we talk about what you mentioned earlier, Nick, about like the Conservatives taking over some of the space, I think kind of the Rotherham Democratic Party's a good shout. And then, and finally, yeah, you mentioned kind of some of the victories. There, there were few and far between, you know, uh, in Scotland, they were, there was disasters for them. But the kind of one area, there's a former BNP activist called Peter or Pete Malloy, and he won a seat as an independent in the Spennymoor Ward in the northwest, uh, northeast of England. And so there's there's kind of, I think it's a good representation, really, right? As the electoral far right has demised, it splits and splintered into independents, these fringe groups, etc. And some of them will continue to kind of sneak through, especially those ones that spent many years rooted in their community, doing local kind of activism there. People know who they are. Uh, and kind of Malloy is a good example of that. So, I mean, I, I think we've made it quite clear that the electoral threat of the far right is is quite minimal. Um, despite you know some of the success stories, um, I mean you've kind of touched on it already with you know with the migration and the channel crossings on the far right. Um, I was just wondering if you could kind of speak to where else we should be keeping our eye on um, in terms of the far right. So you know maybe stuff with Order of Nine Angles or some of the criminal convictions that are going on at the moment. Um, yeah, where do you think we should be focusing right now? Yeah, no, I mean this is the big question, right? This is the this is the key. I think. Uh, as I kind of said, touched on briefly, you know, the electoral far right being in the toilet is a great thing that we should celebrate. You know, for many years, that wasn't the case. It was this ascendancy force. And, uh, and so it's really useful that that's not the case, but it does not mean that the far right should be measured by its electoral threat, right? N- not least for the, for the poll of the post-war period, you know, because of our electoral system, et cetera, or the far right have often performed poorly in elections, but I don't think that's how we should measure the danger in our communities and in our towns. And part of the issue with there being no electoral far right as welcome as it is, is that there's a numbers, there's large sections of the far right that now think, well, there is no electoral route to power. You know, when the BNP was at its height, far right activists felt they could change things by winning elections. Now that they can't win elections, they have to look elsewhere to change things. And that means that they spend time on our streets. And it also, I think, is one of the reasons that we've seen such an upswing in terrorism activity in the last five, six years. You know, with the far right, there's record numbers of terrorism arrests happening from the far right in the last couple of years, and those continue. There's endless court cases of people for both membership of far right terror groups like former National Action and those sorts of things. But also you mentioned O9A and the Order of Nine Angles, this kind of Nazi satanic paedophile cult that lots of people talk about that we've been running a campaign to ban. I mean, uh, there's a number of court cases ongoing that, that I'm guessing we probably shouldn't talk about now, but that involve people that are linked into the Order of Nine Angles. So when people don't, when the far right don't believe they can affect change through the ballot box, some people think they need to affect change through the bomb. And so I think that's why we're seeing kind of that sort of activism. And then the other thing to watch out is 
as lockdown restrictions lift and much of the far right was kind of stuck online last year, the question will be whether or not we see them return to the streets as they're allowed to do so. You know, you mentioned, Roxy, the, the kind of cross-channel migration stuff. I think that's going to be the big battleground this year. The far right are very animated about it. Britain First, which didn't manage to get its stuff together for this election, you know, they're really active around this issue. They're on the ground, they've got their battle buses, they're driving around, they're doing banner drops and demonstrations. Patriotic Alternative, they're out every single weekend, the far-right group run by the neo-Nazi Mark Collett, out every weekend in quite big numbers. So we're seeing them kind of on the streets, we're seeing them in communities, even though we're not seeing them at the ballot box. And I think this summer's going to be a really one to watch, you know. Just just, just really quickly, because we are running out of time here. Do you think that potentially a lot of people in our kind of, in our kind of sector are un, unaware of the scale of the threat coming uh, down the line in summer, this summer, do you think that's, that's a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, we're already seeing the far right ramp up around this issue. You've kind of got these individual so-called citizen journalists doing their live streams down from Dover. Um, we've got Britain first jumping up and down about it. You know, for Britain are talking about it. And in some ways, a lot of this looks like really traditional far right activism. It's really ugly far right activism. It's getting in people's faces. It's, it's turning up at migrants' accommodation and sticking cameras in their faces and demanding they say where they are. None of this is being helped, by the way, by the Home Office's vile rhetoric on this and Pretty Patel herself. So I think this is a, a kind of issue that, in some ways, while it's not cutting through just yet, I think we're likely to see relatively high numbers of cross-channel migration this year. I mean, in nothing in terms of what places like Germany or France will see in terms of migration. But um, I think it's the sort of thing that the right wing press will jump up and down about, especially as it's boats arriving across the channel. And the far right are going to be there. There's a demonstration coming up towards the end of the month, which as yet hasn't caught much traction, but we'll have to watch that one. That's going to be in Dover. So I think the far right are getting ready. And, and the, the big danger here, of course, is, you know, um, while we all hope that it never happens, if you look at places like Germany and places like Sweden is another good example about attacks on migrant accommodation. They've been worryingly frequent over the last five, six years. And as yet, we haven't seen anything really terrible happen in the UK. But the far right jumping up and down about this issue and, and being really confrontational about it, it only takes one person, it only takes one activist to do something really terrible. Uh, and I'm really, really concerned, you know, the, the, the political climate that's being whipped up around this issue means that something terrible could happen this summer. Yeah, lots to be worried about, lots for us to uh, to keep an eye on uh, and, and lots for us to do. Joe, fantastic analysis as always. Uh, Roxy, anything you'd like to uh, like to add? No, no, all good, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us. And it was yeah, so interesting. And as Nick said, really, really good analysis. So thanks no, so much. Thanks very much for having us. And, and I'm looking forward to, to kind of doing these more regularly. I think it's really, really interesting. So thanks for having me. Yeah, speak to you next week, mate. Take care. See you in a bit. Bye. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Radio 43. Make sure you're subscribed and check back next week for another intelligence briefing. If you've got any questions for Joe, Nick or myself, or you'd just like to drop us a line, please send an email to our producer at jake at hopenothate.org.uk. And if you like what we do and you want to support our work, please head to our website, www hopenothate.org.uk and join our Hope Action Fund for less than one hour's wage a month. With your support, we will continue to shine a light on and disrupt the activities of the far right. Cheers.